And Obama goes rogue in horrific ways in the first crime novel written by K.M. Tarrant, someone who is very much at home in a mortuary. She's a qualified Obama. She's fascinated by human psychology, and reading crime fiction is her thing. Now based in Auckland's North Shore, the Tamuka-born writer says she hopes her book Life and Death in Birkenhead will not only entertain people, but demystify the world of embalming. Now she puts Gerald, the sociopathic embalmer, on a collision course with Maisie, a caring and bereaved young woman, who also takes up the embalmer's tools. Esther Swifel reads from the book. The following Monday, when Maisie arrived at Thompson's, she said good morning to Dave, who was once again sitting behind the front desk, and then, grinning from ear to ear, she walked straight out the back to the embalmer's changing room. She pulled on her navy blue theatre scrubs and steel-capped gumboots and walked through the door to the mortuary. The first time a person walks into a mortuary can be quite overwhelming. Maisie had become comfortable with handling the deceased over the last three months. Everyone helped with dressing and casketing when it got busy out the back, but today was different for several reasons. A human being lying naked and utterly motionless on the polished steel table can be quite confronting, particularly if they've undergone a post-mortem examination. Occasionally, particularly before embalming has taken place, strong odours can fill the room. Contrary to what producers of Body of Proof, CSI and the like would have people believe, a slick of Vicks under the nose doesn't make an ounce of difference. Another factor that will make things tougher than normal is if the deceased is very young. Then the mortuary becomes a very sombre place indeed. Maisie began her new job on a day when all of those things were present. Kim, first of all, what was your way into embalming? Different, I think, to Maisie's. Uh, yes, I we lived in Lower Hutt. We lived. I've born and bred in Tamuka in the South Canterbury, and I'm very proud of that fact. And then we moved for my husband's work in 2004 uh, to Wellington, where I met a lovely lady called Helen Watman, uh, who became a very close friend her and her husband. And then when I moved to Auckland in 2010, she sort of got stuck into me and said, "You need to get a job that's something you love doing." And uh, she had a brother-in-law, John Sybin, who owned, at the time, uh, Sybin's Funeral Home in Rimawera. And he sent me off to uh, Browns Bay, where I talked to Andrew Blanche, who was the manager at another funeral home, and uh, he needed an embalmer. So it was me. And that was sort of how it happened. You've spoken in your notes about hoping that this story might demystify the world of the embalmer and um, even the mortuary. And the only, I must say, the only experience I've had is what I've seen on television. And they are always a dark yes. and terrifying place. Yeah, I, I'd love people to know that every funeral home and every embalmer and every funeral director I've ever worked with or for have bent over backwards to do everything they can for family. But family don't always know that things are possible, so they don't ask. It's not a scary place, a mortuary. It's a caring place more than anything else. Everybody I've ever worked with has been incredible. We treat every single person who comes through our doors as our own family. Yeah, and you have wee chats to them while you're looking after them and caring for them. They don't talk back, <laughs> but we do make sure that we... That we, we know ourselves that this is how our family would be cared for if it were up to us. So, yeah. Well, while Maisie is exactly the sort of person you would hope to care for uh, someone you loved or yourself in a mortuary, of course, the other part of this terrifying story that you've written <laughs> is somebody who you assure us at the end of the book couldn't possibly work in the industry in New Zealand yeah. because there are rules. And this is, right. uh, this is Gerald. Now, he is 
a genuinely, I've got to say, a genuinely terrifying character. And the chapters <laughs> with him from childhood through. But I mean, yes. how did you, how did you, you sound like a lovely woman, Kim. How did you come to create <laughs> such a monster? Because that's exactly what he is. Yeah, he is a monster. Um, he's, I don't know, he's not anybody uh, in particular. He's probably bits of a lot of people. And then I've added in basically a sociopath, I suppose, because he doesn't really have any redeeming qualities when you scratch the surface. On top of the surface, he's charming and a caring person in, a, in an industry that cares for people, but he has an ulterior motive and he did have right from the start. He's not the sort of person that you would want looking after your loved ones, which is why I put that little bit at the end of the book, just to say to people, please don't worry, because there's no chance of someone like I'm getting very far in the industry. They'd be weeded out very, very quickly if they even managed to get through the door. <laughs> well, this is also uh, tapping into the voyeuristic nature of the internet, what it allows. Mm. And and Gerald yes. taps into this as well. So he's able to feed his desire to humiliate and inflict pain and autopsies, which is a fascination he's had since a child, yes. online, which says yeah. an awful lot about us too, doesn't it? That the sort of things that he does to bodies that then are filmed, there is a ready, eager audience for his instalments, as he calls them. Oh, yeah, the internet's terrifying. It's, it's brilliant as well, but it's terrifying. There's something for everyone, literally, and there's a lot of strange people in the world. What did I must admit, doing the research for this book, I did think if uh, the FBI or the New Zealand equivalent of it ever decided to have a look at my browsing history, I'd be in serious trouble. Some of the things I had to Google to, <laughs> to make sure I had the facts right would kill you here. <laughs> I, I want also, I don't, I don't want to linger too long on Gerald because he makes me feel very uncomfortable. Um, but that's the purpose of the book. But but uh, again, and it would have, the, the book would be different if we also didn't get to know some of those who had become his victims before or after yes. death. And Jenny, of course, is one of the main ones. And we meet her as a poor kid, awful upbringing kicked out of home and has a really tough life and I guess when you're thinking about framing the story and you are interested I know in in what makes people tick you know psychology it was important that they weren't just names or people with a, a name tag on their toe right that's right yeah Jenny in particular and even Jenny's mother you could see I hope that was my intention anyway that you could see why Rita became who she became she wanted a baby and she desperately wanted a baby and, and then she had Jenny and then things changed in her situation and so she changed. And Jenny was the same. Jenny was uh, had beaten her demons and then was turning back to those demons for reasons that were out of her control. People react to the uh, goings on around them and I, I really am fascinated by that and how people become who they are and that they can change. You know, we can all change. We all, we all grow and evolve. Maisie, we'll come back to Maisie now because the, the, so much of this is her story and her friendship and her family, incredibly important to her. I mean, she's all heart, really. And then yeah. there's an accident and there's a death and she is so deeply, deeply affected, isn't she? Maisie is all heart. She's she's based on all of the kind people in my life. I've got a lot of family and friends who are drop everything type people that will come and help anyone out in a situation um, and my two sisters for example are in industries um, the ones in nursing and ones in the police our mum was a um, nurse before she had us 
the whole family have kind of, they've all got roles in those sorts of areas. And I think that says a lot about our backgrounds and our upbringings and why we are who we are. I think that's with Maisie as well. Her first time in the mortuary, we're back in the mortuary, I'm afraid, I guess it was inevitable. She, she seemed to have a similar <laughs> philosophy to you. I mean, her first day was really tough. You know, she, she encountered all of those yes. maybe toughest aspects of it. But I guess for some people, their first impression of being in a mortuary is not going to be revulsion and wanting to, to run out. You know, that they can feel a sense of place. And you clearly did, Kim, too. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and Maisie's sort of that, that part of her is based on me, I think. You just, you want to be, and, and every embalmer I've ever known is the same. I'm sure they all are. We all want to do our very, very best for the person that's passed away and for their family. So that's the most important thing is that we do what we do correctly. Then uh, what we term the memory picture for the family of the deceased will be a much more pleasant one than they may possibly have had if we weren't involved. You want that person looked after as well as, as you would want your own family looked after. So we do treat them all as family. Before writing your novel, I think crime was something that had interested you. So have you been an avid crime reader before you became a crime writer? Yes. Uh, since I can remember very small, very young, being fascinated by anything to do with crime. I just I just find the whole world fascinating and I'm very nosy by nature, so I'd like I like finding out as much as I can about things and seeing if I can figure out what happened and all possibilities and always read Stephen King and sort of those sorts of books as a child and now with uh, everything that's available on the television I watch the crime channels. But yeah, I, I do love that kind of thing. I love being the fly on the wall and seeing how they figure out what happened. Yeah, I mean, that, I think being a Stephen King fan, that makes sense to me because you push us very hard as readers. It's really uncomfortable reading aspects of <laughs> Gerald's um, behaviour. I don't know if it was uncomfortable yeah. for you to write. It was hard to write because I, I, I knew that a lot of people would be put off that. But then I did think too, people wouldn't buy that book, knowing what it's about, if they didn't expect something like that and they would have been people like me that like to read about crime and all that sort of thing and, and aren't put off by that kind of talk would have been disappointed if it wasn't as visceral as it is I think. Life and death in Birkenhead why, why choose Birkenhead? We lived in Birkenhead for six years I think it was and we're trying to get back to Birkenhead the whole the town's beautiful. More crime novels to come from you have you got the bugkin? Uh, I've got the bug for writing. I've got probably at least 30 outlines with characters and storylines and all that sort of thing on my computer ready to start. I've got one book that's not a crime book, but it's um, a very interesting book called For the Love of Max that I'm probably about three quarters of the way finished. Life and Death in Birkenhead by K.M. Tarrant is a Mary Egan publishing title.